When Hector's stepmother, Melissa Bank, writes to say she is coming to stay, neither he nor Auntie Robbo takes any notice of her letter. This proves to be a mistake, and soon Hector and his great-grand-aunt are on the run from Miss Bank's good intentions. Thus begins a madcap Scottish adventure, as the disreputable pair and their assorted accomplices are pursued relentlessly through the highlands and islands. Hi, welcome back to Books Are Back. Today we will be reading Anti Robbo by Anne Scott Moncrief. I'm Ursula. And I'm Catherine. I'm Ursula's mum. So on this podcast, what we do is Ursula reads books that I read when I was a child and I remember as being good ones. Now, I don't read them again. Ursula does that part. And then we discuss whether I was right that they are good ones. So, Ursula... Normally we start with... My opinion? No. Normally we start <laughs> with why I chose the book. Yes, yes we do. So I chose this book because I remember enjoying it as quite an unusual st- story. It's it's a kind of a caper. They, things happen one after another. They just rush about getting into scrape and trouble. D, d, and d. And and the next, and the next, and another. And I thought it was funny. I had this nice edition um, published by the Bodley Head in a an edition called Bodley Bookshelf, where I had several of these books. They're not all by Anne Scott-Mancreef, but they were all books that Bodley Head were bringing back into print when I was a child in the 70s and 80s. So they so were... So what is this not from... The 70s and the 80s? No, it was written before when was it written? then. Um, I think you'll have to check the... Okay, I'm going to check that, guys, while she tells you more. And I thought it'd be good to discuss on the podcast because it's a Scottish podcast and it's a very Scottish book. So it says here it was rejected by her regular London publishers in 1941. So that's probably when it was published, I think. Yep, 41. Because it was too Scottish and too irresponsible. What did you think? Is it too Scottish, Ursula? Well, I I don't think I'm really the one to answer that question because, you know, I am Scottish. So let's bring in the English consultant. (laughs) Um, I um, think he might be busy. I I know a bit about that. I read about this. The part... Of the book that's often mentioned when you hear this story is when Hector explains to Melissa Bank how Auntie Robbo has been teaching him history and it's basically all about Scottish battles. It's, it's amazing, it's amazing. Did you remember yeah, this yeah, bit? Yeah, yeah, so he says, and we, we go to see the battlefields all the time, she teaches me about them and it's amazing. And she, Melissa Bank said, well, well, shouldn't she be teaching you about British history, English history? And he goes... Well, I, I suppose she could, but it would be it would be quite hard to get to the battlefields, a bit too far away. And, and he says they, the English were always fighting in places that didn't belong to them. Yeah. So it was a sort of anti-English element. Too Scottish and too irresponsible. Is it too irresponsible? It's not too irresponsible. I mean, she's, you know, a completely irresponsible great-grand-aunt who, you know, today would not be legally allowed to do any of these things. But, I mean, it's fun. It's fun. So, what's it about? Did you enjoy it? Yeah, I really loved it. What's it about? So, they live at home. She teaches him stuff. 
like, you know, she teaches them French, a little bit of French, um, Gaelic sometimes, history, a lot of, and they just kind of muck around together most days. They, they've got a lock nearby their house and they go up there sometimes with the birds, that kind of thing. And oh, then, that's interesting. Cause I thought they lived in Edinburgh, is that not right? No, they go to Edinburgh. Okay. When they're running away. Do they live in the countryside? Yeah. Oh, right, okay. I've well, they live like in grandma's kind of place. Okay, I'd, so I have missed that completely in my memory. Uh-huh. Right, okay, carrying on. And so they... Melissa Bank comes. It turns out that her father... So Hector's father went to Egypt when his wife died. And um, he got married again, apparently. And so this is his stepmom, And she comes... And it turns out she wants Hector. She thinks that she's got rights to him and wants to send him, you know, to a proper school and that kind of thing. And so he and Andrew Robert decide that they're going to run away. And they head down to, I think that's it, I think they head to Edinburgh. They got in a train. There's a bit of a muddle up. And they end up with these kids called Pete, Sandu and Mary. And they go to their... That they're like imposters. It's very complicated, but they go to this big house and they pretend that they're like cousins and a wife and a housemaid and stuff like that. And eventually they have to move it from there and they get involved with this tinker. And he runs away while they're out shopping at one point um, because Melissa Venk catches up with them, with the police. And then, oh, and at the house that they were in. But they take this carriage... And they go and they paint it, they remake it. Like like, like the caravan that they've been living in with this yeah, guy. exactly. Yeah. Well, it's not a caravan, because, but it is like a horse cart with a hood. Okay, yeah. yeah. And they take it and they're riding around for a bit. They're selling pails. What are pails? Buckets. Buckets, okay. They're selling, they're selling pails and there's bad weather and there's good weather and they do painting there's a funny bit that I want to talk about with the paintings, but and eventually Andy Robbo buys an island and she they go to live there. Well, no, Sandu and Mary decide that they're gonna keep selling their pails until they run out and then they'll come and join them. And then they live there for a bit and they meet a man called Jacquis Arsteed. And they live there for a while. He teaches them French, they go and they look at birds, they paint the birds, that kind of thing. And eventually Melissa Bank shows up, and that's all I'm going to say, because she brings the police, and that's kind of the cliffhanger. Okay, so that's people must get the book to find out what happens yeah. when Melissa arrives with the police. Yeah. That Sandu's name rings a bell. It's an unusual name, and now yeah. you say that, I can rem- that, may- that brings back these three child characters to my to my memory, mm-hmm. they were, are they, they're quite resourceful kids, is that yeah. right? uh-huh. They live, so Pete is Sandra and Mary's cousin, and they live kind of with Pete's aunt, and kind of with Sandra and Mary's father, but not really. And did, does, does Auntie Robbo encourage one of them to become really quite good at painting? Does one of them end up selling their art, is that? No. 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 Just pales. Yeah, just pales. <laughs> <laughs> So, so did you enjoy it? Yeah, I thought it was really fun. What's Auntie Robbo's... The book's named Auntie Robbo. It's not named Hector's flight from his evil stepmother. <laughs> no. What's Auntie Robbo like? She's fun. She's really fun. She can get grumpy. She can get really optimistic. But she's fun. Good. She, She's quite... Is she wealthy? 
No, wait, kind of, maybe. She buys an island. Yeah. I've absolutely. I think she she's probably wealthy so that she can buy an island, but she doesn't live in a manor or anything. She okay. lives in like a maybe one maybe like attic style house kind right. of thing. Okay. And I've got a great way to describe her. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you want to go first or no? Right. So on the back here it says Anti Robert is a funny book. One of the those enduring funny books which depends not on action or topical. Qu- Topical quips? Topical quips. Like, just throwaway jokes about the news. Um, but on character. Yeah. So she is the reason that the book is funny. So she's... Does she behave unusually? Yeah. She doesn't react to the arrival of the person yeah, so with the claim to the child... Well, no claim to the child, but yeah. ...applying for a court order. No. She reacts by fleeing to the countryside... <laughs> And stealing somebody's mobile home. <laughs> Technically, she doesn't steal it. The tinker runs away with a note that says, Police showed up and moved it. It's not her van, <laughs> though, is it? It's not well, her car. She's been living in it for, you know, maybe half a month. She's quite. That's not. It's not the usual way of doing it. <laughs> no, no, with it's not. Situations. So it's, not. it's her choices that make it funny. Yeah. Is that right? Uh huh. And just yeah. her personality. Excellent. And what about the Scottish aspect of it? Maybe this is because I'm Scottish. I didn't feel that. But what about touring Scotland? Did you recognise Scotland in there? There was a mention of, like, the Caledonian Canal. Oh, right, yes. Have you been there? No, but I recognise the Caledonian Hotel. Oh, yes, in Edinburgh. Yeah. Yes. The Caledonian Canal, do you know what it is? It's in the north of Scotland. It kind of runs <laughs> right... It runs kind of right across the middle of the north Scotland um, from sort of the Inverness area down to the Oban sort of area. Okay. And you can take a boat right from the North Sea along the Caledonian Canal out into the Atlantic. Oh, cool. So you wouldn't have to go right around the top. It's quite clever. Um, they don't do that, but... <laughs> <laughs> so, did you recognise any of the places they were talking about, or the Aberdeen gets mentioned? They go to Edinburgh, where I live. Mm-hmm. But what about? That's about to the extent I recognise any of these bits. Okay. Cool. The Highlands. <laughs> well, I tell you a bit about Anne Shetland and um, Orkney are mentioned. Do they, but they don't go up there, do they? No, they no. don't. But they're mentioned. Will I tell you a bit about Anne? Yeah. Because that this is all linked in with her character and her personality. She was born in Orkney. In Orkney? Yeah, in 1914. So on the islands? Yes. On the highlands and islands. On the islands. Um, in 1914. 1940. Okay. Wait. So No, 41. Okay. So she didn't publish the book when she was less than a year old. And I found it quite difficult initially to find out much about her. There's not a lot of information about her on the internet. But then just before we were due to record, I hit pay dirt on this because I discovered that her granddaughter had given a lecture about her for the George Mackay Brown Memorial Lecture. She gave this lecture in the autumn last year. Do you want me to get my kids to give a lecture about you if you ever become a famous author? 
I'll, I'll leave an archive <laughs> of material so that that's an easy job for them to do. Um, and her granddaughter is called Jean Finlay, and I think she has a, a publishing imprint called Scotland Street and has brought this book back into print because Bodley Head, I don't think, are publishing it now. So once I found that out, I listened to the lecture, and now I know pretty much all there is to know about Anne's Goldman Grief. So she was born in Orkney in 1914, and she became a journalist when she was 16. Lots of newspapers, one newspaper. Well, when she was 16, she started writing for an Arcadian newspaper. Called the Orkney Orcadian newspaper. Uh, Probably. Probably (laughs) just called the Orkney Times, I'm not sure. (laughs) Um, And then she went to London to work in Fleet Street as a journalist. But it is in London and all the newspapers used to have their offices there. It's in the centre of London, but um, they've moved. They moved. Um, oh, when I think about it now, it seems recently to me, but it's probably quite a long time ago in my lifetime. They moved um, to an area of London called Wapping. Okay. So, by the time she was twenty, mm-hmm. she was back in Scotland. So this is all quite quick. She, so she was back in Scotland by the time she was twenty, and she married because she had married or she married a man she met in London called George Scott Moncrief. So she she wasn't Scotland. She didn't keep her maiden name or use it as publishing or anything. No, her name was Agnes Sheeler. Wait, so why did she change Anne? I don't know, but she changed her name at that time to Anne Scotland Creek. Okay. And she had three children with George, and called. Oh, I don't know. Child number one, child number two, and child I don't number three. Know what they were called. When I say I know everything, I missed that. <laughs> And she, at the same time as having these children, she was writing, she wrote three children's books. She wrote this one, she wrote a book of short stories, and she wrote another book that I can't remember the name of. I kind of want want her, I mean, she probably isn't alive now if she was 1914, but I kind of want a second Auntie Robbo because Pete and Sandu and Mary... Well, Sandu and Mary say that once they finish selling pails, they'll they'll come to the island, and we never really get them. Oh yeah, no, after it's not, they leave, it's not it's not like a, it's about the same character. And do you know? I do know that yeah. it's about five children who run away from a children's home and steal a boat. <laughs> so it kind of is about the same characters, except they're called different things. <laughs> it seems to have a similar tone in the plot, doesn't it? <laughs> What you mean, running away from people and then stealing stuff. Exactly, that seems to be sort of theme. But I don't think that Anne thought that her um, real work was writing children's books. She was she was also a poet. Oh. I, I can't find any trace of her poetry on the internet, and I think that's maybe because a lot of it was written in um, Scottish languages, maybe in or- Orcadian, if that's a language. Gaelic. Um, or Gaelic. Um, I think I might know one. And uh, this is just a guess. I once wrote a book called Anti Robbo. I can't think of anything to rhyme with Robbo. That that's not a poem I found at <laughs> all on the internet. Worth a try. And she also, I think, she made a living working for the BBC, adapting books for the radio, and making educational programming for them. Cool. But she died very young. She died when she was 29. Well, so there's literally no chance of me ever finding a sequel. No. 
all all of her work is really in this really short period and a lot of it i think features the countryside and the, the this lecture made it clear she years. was she she really enjoyed being outdoors she really it was important to her to spend time in the scottish countryside she Apparently was beatrix potter like liked to write in her like garden and stuff Oh, really? Yeah, because she enjoyed the nature. She had a farm in the Lake District, didn't she? Yeah. And Anne had homes in different parts of Scotland. She was a strong swimmer and she was a powerful rower. Um, The lecture was called Born with an Oar in Her Fist. So that... Is her life? So that's where I got to with her life. Now... The 29 years of information that you could dig up. Yes, exactly. Now, you know I always like to bring Mm -hmm. something extra for you. Please don't tell me you've brought a Shetland pony. I haven't brought a Shetland pony. I'm I'm pleased with this one this week, Ursula. I think this is great. What I have brought is I have brought an article that Agnes Shearer wrote when she was 18 years old for the Orcadian. Yep. So that's the name of the newspaper. We've found it out. Um... And it's called I Fly the Pentland. And it turns out that Anne was the first resident of Orkney to fly from Orkney to the mainland in an aeroplane. And if you look at the if you look at the picture of the aeroplane, we're not talking about a small passenger aeroplane that you might think of doing island services these days. It's literally a biplane. It's with a piece of carved out tree with mo- lots of more thin bits of carved out tree. It, it, it's got a seat for the pilot and a seat for the passenger behind him. And it's a spinny thing. <laughs> open, open to the skies and you wear a flying helmet type of aeroplane. And it's got a spinny thing. Um, and she was asked to be the first person to take this, the first person who lived in Orkney to take this flight. And apparently she was, you know, she, she found this quite a frightening um, assignment. But she did it, and I think that it's it's great because it's about the Scottish countryside. And if you listen, and then you can tell us if you hear the same kind of descriptive language as is in the book. Okay. But she starts with a little bit about flying for the first time. She says, Flying is unique among sensations because it combines all the most wonderful experiences of your life with half a dozen new ones thrown in. It makes you think more clearly and paradoxically. Paradoxically? More extravagantly. A paradox is when things are, two pieces of information or rules are pulling in opposite directions. Okay. Um, So you're thinking more clearly, but paradoxically, more extravagantly. Imagine yourself on top of the Ward Hill on the finest summer day. Imagine yourself swimming through every blue and icy water, sailing on a calm night, racing in a motor car, swinging amid the lights and din of the market, bathing with a high wind, and you have something of my first flying sensations. Kirkwall from the air seems much more insignificant than when approached by sea or land. The cathedral loses its dignity and is uniform with the other buildings of the town. The bishop's palace is a rotund little pepper pot. The streets are slits. Only the pier, elongated, graceful and flanked by ships, and the sweep of the crescent look well. Flying south above the familiar Scapa Road and Bay, we were out over the flow so swiftly that I can scarcely remember it. And now, how do you describe how to describe to you the wonder of that view high above the Pentland? The wind like an intangible sheet of steel, 
a deafening but exciting roar and rush of engines, one's hair slashing one like a whirlwind of knives, then to look round at the wide, still panorama of sea and sky and land. Almost all Orkney could be seen in a large part of Scotland. Hoy, with its mighty hills, dwarfed and clustered about with lesser islands, lay on the right, and very faintly in the misty meeting of cloud and sun and water could be seen the salved German ships. On the left lay Home and Bury, insipidly green and smiling, between them the sunken block ships, and below us, Hunda, like a mud pie. After a second, or at least it seemed a second, of looking at mud pie islands, the occasional white dot of a lighthouse, the labouring of a minute vessel in the wide stretch of sea, the sunlit wings of the aeroplane and its tail tapering into space behind me, we were in Scotland. Sea whitening on slabstone cliffs, lighthouse, bourgeois magnificence of John O'Groats Hotel, network of very straight pink roads, a round bland blue pond, then a vast sunlit and cloud-shadowed moor veined with little winding streams. Cutting across a neck of land which culminates in Dunnet Head, in a few minutes we were once more flying over sea. Sinclair's Bay was really wine-dark sea, a purply great blue, abruptly fringed with a curve of white sand. We passed over a wooded Buckley Castle, then a thin old tower that stood out to sea on a rock, another stretch of land, and we'd reached Wick. After performing a sort of corkscrew manoeuvre over the centre of the town, which gave one the rather nightmarish but rare feeling of being caught in the spokes of an electric fan, we landed in the flying field so gently that it took me quite a while to realise it. The flight was over. I think that that's maybe a bit more descriptive or maybe a bit more... Um, what, what's the word you use? I should know this because we did this in lockdown. Uh, that you use to, like, when, you ca- when you're saying the tall red tower to describe a post box. What's that word? That's a metaphor. Yeah, so I think it's using more metaphors mm-hmm. than anti-wobble. It would maybe say, you, she would maybe say, and the green frosting of grass, and this would say, and the short, sharp blades of the grass. Okay, so you think you should use more flowery language? Yeah, metaphors. She's only 18. <laughs> <laughs> She's excited about the flight. Yeah, I maybe she's got a different tone writing for a newspaper. Yeah, maybe. Because, you know, you kind of want to beat people by newspaper. Yeah. So you think she gets more straight to the point in the, yeah. in the book? I think so. Excellent. So, do we have anything else we need to say, or can I quiz you? I think it's time for the quiz. Okay, so, first question... At one point, Auntie Robert starts to read a book that she got when she was very little, and she read to. She used to read out loud to her aunt. But what's that aunt called? What's, this is the hardest question you'll get. What is Auntie Robo's aunt called? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Auntie Robo's aunt is called Auntie Matilda. Sibella. Sibella. S-I-B-E-L-L-A. Well, there's an unusual name. Good one. Yep. Okay. Right, so Jaquise Aristide comes to Scotland because he wants he needs to go to university. Okay. Uh, and so do you what what university does he go to? It's Glasgow. Like, 
No. No. You're, you're really close on the name to another guess. Edinburgh. Okay, third guess. St Andrews. I'll give it Aberdeen. <laughs> what is that really <laughs> close to Glasgow? No, I meant like really close as in, you know. Like, <laughs> but the, <laughs> the way the town is made. Not, not. Mum, you know I don't do geography. Okay. <laughs> okay, right. 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 Please get this one. What's the island called? The Antirobo Bar. Yes. Come on, this, this is said several times. Bork. Shanna. That sounds like it might be a real island. <laughs> do you think it's a real island? Maybe. It's got, it's, yeah. it's got a convincing sort of <laughs> west... Is it a west coast island? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay, well, that was a bit of a fail. Yeah. And maybe my questions were too hard. Oh, no, I think they were... I think the, I, the, the, the name of the island must be a fair question. Yeah. And, and I think there's a chance I might have remembered where... Is it Jacques? Yeah, maybe it's Jacques. Went to university. Not so sure about the, <laughs> name, the name of the aunt of the aunt. <laughs> the aunt of the great grand aunt. Well, no. before we end, yep. I have a question for you. What is that? Does Melissa Bank have any claim? Because Auntie Robo is Hector's great grand aunt and his legal guardian. Okay, so she's a legal guardian. Well, and guardian, and I'm presuming that's legally. Okay. Rather than, you know, guardians of the galaxy she's, or something. <laughs> she's the guardian. And Melissa Bang is the stepmother, who Hector has never met. So she's not so much a stepmother as more the wife of the father. Yeah. So she's the wife of the father. I don't think that gives her any parental rights in any particular way. I think if if Hector's living with Auntie Robo and she's the guardian, Auntie Robo would appear to have more Clint. rights, yes. So she can't try and get Auntie Robo sent to somewhere where they can deal with their madness and get Hector to come to live with her and send him to school. Well, I mean, if it turns out that Auntie Robo is literally insane, then someone she's has not. to do something. She's not. She's She's actually very clever. Okay. Is she insane? No, she's not. No. She's just... What would you call me insane? No. She's like me. Okay. She's completely mad, but she's not insane. (laughs) What is... is, Does Melissa Bank... Was it unfair of me to call her an evil stepmother? Yes. I was taking that maybe more from fairy tales. I think she she gets evil and evil... She gets more evil as the story progresses. Well, maybe because... Because eventually she takes a constable to try and, you know, get... Auntie Robo sent to some sort of prison. But she's she's becoming dragged into more and more extreme situations. Yeah. Created, I would have to say, it sounds like, by Auntie Robo's bizarre decision-making. And the fact that Auntie Robo's trying to protect her own living relative. By stealing stuff. <laughs> For the last time, she did not steal it! But I'm going to find that note and I'm going to post it on our Twitter. And then it will say somewhere... The um, I'm going to leave you this carriage or something. Oh, right. Okay, well, let's do that. Let's share that on our Twitter. We did decide to ask people to have a look at our social media. What's if the you're chat? actually still listening and yes. haven't got bored of us shouting at each other. Give us a gen, Ursula. Uh, okay, here we are. On Instagram, 
we are Books Are Back Pod, and on Twitter we are Books Are Back One. Yeah, so follow us on Instagram or Twitter or both. Also, this week has inspired me to put some information um, on our website about Anne Scott McCreef. I've put a link to the lecture, the lecture, and a link to the newspaper article. Um, so you can find our website by googling us with the word Podbean. They're our podcast host. Uh, so if you are interested in any of this material, um, contact us through our social media and we will be back next week with, I have to give you a book to read. You're going to read The Sword and the Stone by T.H. White. Because you asked me about King yeah. Arthur, didn't you? Oh, I did. So I thought if you read The Sword and the Stone, that would be quite good. I think you've seen the movie, is that right? I've not seen the movie, I've seen kind of a rip-off. Because we went to see The Kid Who Would Be King. We did go to see The Kid Who Would Be King. That is a good movie. Mm-hmm. I'm recommending that to listeners. Yes, we are recommending that. Nothing here is sponsored. <laughs> <laughs> and we will be discussing it in a fortnight's time on the next episode of Books Are Back. So listen in then. Bye. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>